Welcome, everybody. Welcome to The Legendarium. This is our Silmarillion read-along. Today, we are covering four chapters. Ainulindale, Valaquenta, and the first two chapters of Quenta Silmarillion. If that was a lot of names that are unfamiliar to you, you might want to go read those sections and then come back. <laughs> anyway, that's what we're covering. Uh, we have a total of 11 sections scheduled, including this one, uh, and they'll cover an average of about 25 pages each, give or take. Uh, now, the purpose of this read-along, I want to make sure that we're very clear at the very beginning of the first episode, the purpose of this read-along is not to turn anybody into a Tolkien scholar. We're not doing necessarily what you would call a deep dive, uh, more just a kind of a close reading, I suppose, would be a fair way to put it. So the purpose of this is to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book. Uh, so if you are an experienced Silmarillion reader, hopefully it's fun for you to kind of read along with us. Kyle, this is yeah, his first time. We'll, we'll get to him in just a moment. Um, it, but if, you are, <laughs> if you're a newcomer to the book, then the purpose for you is to just kind of give you a book club to go along with. So every time we finish a section, you can finish the section and, and uh, listen into these episodes. So um, yeah, I hope it works out well that way. Now, if you're not subscribed to the show, if you're not subscribed to The Legendarium, you can do so at thelegendarium.com and uh, be sure to subscribe on YouTube, go to Patreon, all that stuff. We would love the support um, and we may have some Patreon exclusive stuff for this Silmarillion read-along. More about that later in the show. All right, so I am your host, Craig Hanks, and over there, he brays louder than an oboe in Melkor's orchestra. It's Ryan Bruckman. I I can't come back on Silmarillion jokes. I'm not. I'm not I don't know enough yet. Yeah, well, by the end of the book, you'll be. Uh, yeah, you'll be flinging retorts at me. Sad trombone. <laughs> and if Manwe is the god king of the skies, and Ulmo is the god of the seas, then he is undoubtedly the god of boring Saturdays in the suburbs. It's Kyle Lemon. <laughs> I, I got nothing on that. I I will agree. I'm very boring, and it is a Saturday. That's it is Saturday. That's true. By the end of this run, we all need Silmarillion names. Ooh, like uh, uh you know what we should do is uh, you've seen those online uh things. Can you tell the difference between an Elvish name and uh, uh, a pharmaceutical? Prescription. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, prescription drugs. Um, so we should pick prescription drugs as our Elvish names. I'm the acetaminophen. Well, that's 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 not that's not prescription. It's not prescription, but you know, I like it, so <laughs> it's fine. Uh, okay, so yeah, by the end of this read along, we'll all have pharmaceutical elvish names. It'll be great and fun. The side effects will be the same: <laughs> <laughs> diarrhea, nausea, possible death. I like the idea of a tangential side effect. You just don't know what it's going to be, and it just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we should probably talk about the Silmarillion now. Yeah. Uh, we're burning through our time already. <laughs> eh, well, whatever. Uh, so, I'll give you guys a recap. Uh, it's a few paragraphs of recap. Just, you know, in case it's been a while since people read this book, uh, I'll recap it for you. All right. Ainulindale tells the story of the creation of everything, really. Iru, or God, creates many mighty spirits called the Ainur who make music with him in his spiritual realm. They sing in wonderful harmony until one of them, Melkor, decides to make his own melody. He leads many others away from Eru's theme, and the two songs clash horribly. This goes on until Eru, Eru stops the song and shows the Ainur the earth, which is the physical embodiment of what they have just sung, in all its beauty and all its discord. The uh, the next section, the Valaquenta, tells us who the major players are in the pantheon of Middle-earth. There are seven lords and seven queens of the Valar, 
and they rule over Earth. So it's reminiscent of the Greek or Norse gods and their pantheons. But Melkor is there too, of course, the selfish evil god from the previous section. Now, he's only one guy, but he is the most powerful of all of them, so he can cause a lot of trouble. Once we get into the Silmarillion proper, we see the Earth being created and fought over by the good and bad gods. Much of the fighting in the beginning is over light, literally light. So the massive lamps are raised in the north and south, uh, and Melkor destroys them. Uh, so the gods create two magical trees uh, to light the world, and Melkor... Uh, well, actually, okay, we're going to get to that in due course. That'll be in the next section, I think. Uh, so anyway, this section ends with the abbreviated creation of the dwarves uh, and the war of wills between the god of building and crafting and the goddess of nature. Ah, uh, I totally get symbolism, you guys. So anyway, <laughs> that's our that's our recap. That's where we're at. Um, be before we get to anything else, I will mention we have a ton, and I mean a ton of Discord comments and questions. Uh, we're not going to get to all of those but I will get to many of them a little bit later in this episode. Um, for now, we're going to kind of just give our impressions and have our conversation. We'll get to the Discord stuff in due course um, and then probably do a little extra uh, on Patreon for Discord uh, for the Discord questions we don't get to. So, um, so let me kick it to you guys now after that recap. Uh, Kyle, you are our first time Silmarillion reader. Now, Ryan, you haven't read it cover to cover. No, uh, but you and I have dipped into it in the past. Yes, um, these so, are familiar. I recognized these ones. So right, actually, you know what? I was going to go to Kyle first, but Ryan, I am going to go to you first uh, because my question for you is uh, because this is your second read through of this beginning section. Mm -hmm. Did it make more sense to you? Was it more digestible this time through than it was the first time? Uh, no. <laughs> no, uh, but that's not saying that it did. That's that because you did okay the first time. The or? first time it wasn't. It wasn't so unbearable that I didn't understand it the first time. Uh, I I guess maybe having a better understanding of the how the language styling is going to be makes it a little more manageable uh, on a on a second read through. Uh, but I, I don't think this time anything. Like blew my mind where I went, oh my gosh, this is so, I, I get this now, it's so much better. It was still, it, it still very much had the feel the first time that I read, I read through it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Kyle, how did it go for you? You're brand new to the Silmarillion. You've never cracked it before now as far as no. I know, right? No, I mean, I've had adjacent conversations and you've mentioned things in the past and made references. So like, and obviously I <laughs> used to big, sit together at work, so I would torture him, it, you uh, know, basically. <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm I'm familiar with the Lord of the Rings and the lore and all of that stuff. So I it it didn't feel unfamiliar from I mean, I don't know. Let me start over. For me, it wasn't. It was accessible, but not easily accessible. OK, so the way that I felt as I'm reading it is there's enough going on conceptually as you're building out who's the main creator god Iluvatar mm -hmm. and he's already got two names basically in the first paragraph you know and <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to sort out in my brain what are the tiers of things that are going on who's what yeah. who has like who are the major players what for lack of a better term power levels do they have you know who's what's the hierarchy here right um what really stood out, though, is I, I really liked this whole idea around music and that there's not really anything that's tangible. 
and I and I mentioned this before we turned the mics on, and I'll mention this again. As a reader, it actually felt very much. I felt very much like what was happening on page, which is Iluvatar, your creator, is organizing everything and creating everything, and I'm in my mind trying to organize all of the things that are coming at me. <laughs> so there's big ideas and big concepts, which are. I don't want to say it's super difficult to organize, but you have to think through and, and get them kind of listed out. On top of that, which made it more difficult for me was the length, like not the language, but the name, the names. The yeah, names are yeah. incredibly unfamiliar. And like I said, you're getting, you know, the main creator is getting two names almost like pretty, pretty quickly and no, organizing that. Not pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. I, I'm like, going to interrupt yeah. you and just, yeah, I, I wanted to pull up the very first line of the entire book. And you open it up, it's Ainulindale, uh, and the first line is, there was Iru, the one, who in Arda is called Iluvatar. Right. And you're just like, Bones. what? You've got three names, not for the same thing, but you have three names and a title mm -hmm. in the first phrase mm -hmm. of the book. And so you, Arda, you're like, wait, who in Arda? What's Arda? Where's, right. uh, what is this? And then, Iru, what, so is it Iru or is it Iluvatar? Mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, Which is, again, in con like, again, there's a lot of big ideas and it's just a matter of organizing it. And the, that, the combination of organizing all of these things, all of this chaos into something on top of really unfamiliar naming conventions because obviously he created all of this from nothing so it's an interesting uh experience because like i said as the reader i'm almost feeling very much like what he's telling me iluvatar is doing is <laughs> sure. organizing all the yeah. things um but i found it really really intriguing and and actually if you have uh, this is going to be a shameless plug i'm ready for the for the property but I actually went to YouTube and watched your video, Craig, oh, from a, right. about yeah. a year ago that says, if you're reading the Silmarillion for the first time, here's what you need to do. And that's I found that really helpful because it helped me shift my mindset from like, I'm trying to read this as a as a novel or who's the protagonist and the antagonist. And there we get to some of that. Um, but it's very much more presented as a history and not as a story necessarily. So if you're reading it from like, this is like you're reading a history book. It's much more accessible. Yeah, I think we should... I'll I'll stop talking for a minute. That's okay. <laughs> Actually, I, I was gonna go off on something, but Ryan, it looked like you were you were itching to say something for a few minutes. Well, it, there's something that actually this I, I've become a little more excited about this this time because uh, that same feeling of so much so quickly. You know the uh, the the meme of it's Charlie Day pointing at like his, oh, the, his board the wall over there. Like the conspiracy wall, the ball of yarn, and yeah. yeah. The first time reading this, you feel like the person looking at the at the wall, trying to make sense of this. But it's all connected. <laughs> the, as soon as things start clicking a little bit more, and you start, and you're able to sort things, I can understand why subsequent reads it becomes less about trying to figure out who these people are, and more about the connections already there. And so then you shift to becoming Charlie Day, like, oh yeah. But almost over the water, and he protects people when when Melkor wins, and he takes or when Melkor takes over for a while, he's still there bleeding, you know, underneath the, the like. I, I'm getting excited to maybe start shifting into the more Charlie Day side of things <laughs> <laughs> because I don't have to worry about trying to remember because I actually was able to. The further I read into uh, Quintus Silmaril and some of these other ones, it was I 
I spent less time having to go back and say, which one is this? Mm-hmm. Because I knew who Manwe was. Yeah. I knew who Ulmo was over the water. That's, yeah, that I, is a big benefit, I think, in, uh, of. And I am 1000% in the, which is this guy? Who, who right. am I? What am I doing? Okay. So. so let's talk a little bit about reading the Silmarillion for the first time and what kind of experience that is. I know we got a question, um, in discord about what your experience was um lady sweden actually asked why do you uh, mostly directed to ryan and kyle why do you think people bounce off the silmarillion or don't get into it is it in part uh, this beginning is it the repetitive nature of it um and i think uh, for you guys what you're saying is yeah the, the names are a lot and i fully agree with that as somebody who has read the silmarillion i don't know how many Okay, I shouldn't say how many dozens of times, maybe two dozen times. (laughs) I mean, as somebody who has read it many, many, many times, I I'm on the other side of that mm -hmm. equation where I'm I the the threads connect with much less difficulty, not no difficulty, (laughs) but much less difficulty. Um, But anyway, no, I want to go back to what you were saying, Kyle, about that that video. It's we have a very small YouTube channel. Like and subscribe. Uh, we have a, a small YouTube channel, and that is uh, far and away our most popular video on there is me explaining how to read the Silmarillion for the first time. Apparently, people search this out. People want to know <laughs> the answer to this question. And I, I won't rehash the entire video, but yeah, my the, the gist of it comes down to you have to switch your mindset from I'm reading a novel to I'm reading a history. So anybody who's ever read a textbook or a history knows that it's not the same thing. Um, and it, and then the other thing I would say is, yes, there are a lot of names. Yes, there's a lot of like weird pronunciation and language issues. Just let it wash over you. Don't worry about it. You don't have to understand everything perfectly the first time. So if somebody is listening to this and they read through this section for the first time, and they're going, oh, my gosh, there's just so much. There's so much to remember. I can't. You're right. You can't. And you don't need to. Mm-mm. It's OK. The story, the story, the history is going to continue it's going to use a lot of this um, as kind of the seasoning or the background or the flavoring of what you're going to read going forward. You're going to get a lot more names thrown at you and leave a lot of these ones behind. Um, just let it wash over you. And this is why the first time I read it, in fact, I'm reading the very, the, I've got the first copy that I ever got on February 14th, 2004. This was my mom's Valentine's Day present to me when I was Aww. 17. So I didn't have a Valentine. Tolkien was my Valentine. Thanks, mom. Um, anyway, when I read it the first time, it took me like three months to read this book and I was working hard at it. And I got to the end and I thought, I have no idea what I just read. I don't understand how all these things connect. I finished it. I got to the end and immediately went back to page one and read the whole thing over again. And it took me a few weeks to read it the second time, but it made so much more sense than the first time. Anyway, but and that's why, because mm-hmm. I, I think I was maybe trying a little too hard my first time through to figure out who is connected to what and this and that name. And I don't know. Okay, Ryan, what do you got? Well, uh, I shift the question just a little bit because I think for people who who come to the Silmarillion for the first time, maybe off of Lord of the Rings or off of Recommendation or whatever, the question, your answer, you answer the question, how do I read this? Shift in the, mi- the mindset. The next question for me is, if I'm going to read a textbook, I will never go buy a textbook to read a textbook for enjoyment. So why would I want to read a history <laughs> yeah. like this? So what is it about the Silmarillion that makes it worth reading through as a history mm. versus versus the enjoyment of that you get from a lot of novels setups? Oh, man. 
Do you want do you want my answer? Is this a rhetorical question uh, no, or a real is, question? This is a real question because I I have I have my own thoughts basically of, you know, because, you know, that because it'll give you depth and understanding and and things to to the world has been created and help you understand, you know, this whole concept of how to create a larger world. I think like that's that's the way that I'm approaching this right now. But I don't know what why would I want to read the Silmarillion? <laughs> right. I there are many, many reasons, and I'm only going to give one. Uh, I think that's a perfectly good one. If you if you love the Lord of the Rings, you love this the story that Tolkien created, and you want to understand the backdrop that it's written against, great. Read the Silmarillion. You'll get more in-world uh, knowledge. Uh, but for me, that's not necessarily the primary reason to read it. Uh, I mean, it, it, okay, fine. It might be. There are many reasons to read. Like I said, the one I'll bring up is, I, and I think I got into this in that video as well, maybe a little bit, uh, and that's the idea of applicability. So anybody who's um, more than passingly familiar with Tolkien is familiar with that quote where he says, I cordially dislike allegory and always have done so ever since I was old enough, uh, old and wary enough to detect its presence. I much prefer history, true or feigned, with its varied applicability. I, I know I'm mildly butchering the quote, but this is all off the top of my head. Anyway, so he says, I prefer history, true or feigned, uh, to allegory. And I think what he's getting at is when, when you read a story, when you read a, a, a story where an author has something to say, the example I used was Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. Great book. It's a great concept, but it's very, very narrow. Mm -hmm. Here is a lesson that you will learn. Uh, Whatever that lesson is, I, and, and pick your story. I don't care what it is. It, they all kind of do this, and we we treat stories allegorically often. Mm -hmm. uh, but with history, it's more widely applicable. And so, if you read the Silmarillion, it might be more pleasurable because of just the aesthetic. It's like it's more pleasurable to read the Silmarillion than, uh, you know, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire you know, or whatever other history you might get into. Maybe it's just more aesthetically pleasing for you to get into Middle Earth. Fine. You're still going to get this broad uh, collection of many stories, many ideas. Uh, the author isn't coming at you saying, I have something to teach you. The author's coming at it with, I have all these stories I want to tell. Do with them what you will. Mm -hmm. See in them what you will. Take from them what you will. Uh, versus you read Robert Louis Stevenson. Was it, wait, was it Stevenson mm -hmm. who wrote uh, Jekyll and Hyde? Yep. Um, you read him and it's like, no, he's, if you don't come away from Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde having learned lesson X, you didn't get what he was throwing out at you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's, I, I think it's more widely applicable to a wider audience than many stories like mm -hmm. straightforward novels or stories or whatever does that make any sense yeah sure. yeah and i would add to to kind of answer ryan's question about why would i read this is i think that it not that it needs it but it lends even more gravitas and scope to the in-world stuff that we see when you get into lord of the rings mm -hmm. or or the hobbit like the frodo's quest to destroy the ring and, you know, Gandalf talks about, I'm butchering this as well, but just no matter how small he can, you know, he can make an impact and things. And you realize, obviously, within Middle Earth, how small a hobbit or something like a ring is just within that scope. 
But this blows that scope literally to the entire cosmos. <laughs> right. And so it just lends even more depth and, and gravitas to, to those stories that we do love and have read over and over. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, Ryan, do you have anything else? Any thoughts on why? No. You, you all know I love a good expanded universe. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. This is the original Star Wars in the 90s. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So should we go on then? Um, I I got a few kind of just dumb little fun things. Uh, for instance, Tolkien uses a lot of weird old words mm-hmm. uh, in this story because he studied weird old words for a living uh, for many, many decades. Uh, anyway, so you run across, I, I specifically remember notating a couple on page 41. So again, this is the second edition, whatever you're reading. This is uh, in the first chapter of... Uh, of the Quintus Silmarillion, this is of the beginning of days, and um, he mentions the word meads. Therefore, leaving the house of Aule and the flowering meads of Valinor, she would come at times, et cetera, et cetera. Meads, wait, wait a minute, isn't that a, a fermented honey drink? <laughs> no, uh, well, yes, but mead uh, is, it means meadow. Okay. And this comes from the Middle English mead. Uh, or the old from the old English mad, uh, so yeah, meadow. It, I don't know when it acquired the O part of it at the end of it, but uh, yeah, apparently it's just a med. Mm. Yeah, you can go frolic through the med uh, next time you're bored, Kyle, on a on a on a on Saturday, Saturday in the suburbs. I'm doing it right after we finish recording. <laughs> go find yourself to, a med. Going to the meds. <laughs> um, also, let's see what's there was one other one. Oh yeah, this is a word that gets used later on on the same page um, and that we see all the time. And the word is fell. If there's one uh, cliche that I would like to get rid of, um, well, there are a lot that I'd like to get rid of, but one of them would be uh, one fell swoop. I'm so tired of that phrase. Okay. I, and I use it sometimes, uh, but I, I'm, I'm tired of it because it gets, I feel like it gets overused. But anyway, my question would be, do people actually know what fell means? Like, do you, could, do you guys have a definition for fell? Like when you hear, ah, oh, it's all in one fell swoop. No, yeah. I, I immediately go to World of Warcraft fell with a single L, which is kind of a an evil uh, magic. Hey, there you go. That's, yeah. I, I would say it's a, for me, fell would always be like uh, evil or dark or right. like, terrible. Cruel is yeah is, is what fell means so i don't know why we still use well i i do because, because shakespeare one, well, yeah. shakespeare was it in Macbeth? old that billy shakes what that he came up with one fell swoop i can't remember which play it was from but anyway so thanks shakespeare you've ruined that phrase you've ruined the, oh yeah that phrase like you've ruined the english language really you're gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna plant that flag <laughs> uh Anyway, so yeah, I just uh, there, there's your Professor Craig vocabulary lesson for the day. We've got mead or med. We'll frolic through your mead and uh, <laughs> no. and uh, your your fell mead, Kyle. No, yeah. no, no, no. Okay, well there you go. All right, what do you guys want to talk about? Did you come with any thoughts, any notes, um, anything that uh, that you felt like we got to we got to get to? I would love to talk a little bit because I was able to understand it maybe a little bit better. Uh, the relationships between the Valar and the Valier. The, yeah, okay. The, yeah. the, 
the kings and queens. Yep. That's something they both like. I remember on the first read through, they existed and there were some that were connected, but there this time through, I guess I noticed a little bit more of the pairings and that some were paired off, some weren't, because uh, like Manwe and Yavana, I believe, are a pair. No, that's Aule and Yavana. Aule and Yavana. It's uh, Manwe and, and Varda. 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 Yeah. And Varda is the most beautiful, or is that Yavana? Varda let's, is let's the, just star, say, anyway. the star kindler, <laughs> is that right? Hey, nicely done. I got gotcha. you. Hey, wow. <laughs> But I think, it, but that's the thing is that each of their descriptors and things that they were kind of over and in charge of and their pairings, uh, I, I started to try and pay attention to why would these two be paired together or why would someone have been left alone? Why would Tolkien feel like Ulmo, for example, who's the lord of the seas, who's over the waters, why does he not have mm -hmm. someone with him? Um, and just kind of their personalities and how it connects with their relationships. I, it was actually a little more. It was more fascinating to me this time to realize these god pairings, uh, just how they would affect things going forward. And we get a little bit later. You talk about the the relationship between, um, I think it's Yavanna and and Aule and Aule, talking about the their need for uh, materials to craft stuff like that. I those are relationships that I think would be. If you were to go and expand and write further into this, I don't recommend doing so. But <laughs> you could take any one of the pairings and and tell a whole series of stories just based on on those pairings. Yeah, it's uh, when you do get into who's paired off. Sometimes you can see interesting things. Like I, I kind of mentioned it in the um, in my recap that Ale and Yavanna have this. Uh, I guess let's just talk about this. This is the second chapter in the Quenta Silmarillion of Aule and Yavanna. Um, Aule creates the dwarves um, and God confronts him on it and says, uh, or I should say Eru, fine. Uh, Eru confronts him on it and says, why, why are you doing what is reserved for me, which is the creation of intelligent life? Um, and you know, he has all of excuse, his excuses and whatnot. And then Yavanna finds out that Ali has done this and she's like, they're going to ruin everything. They're going to chop down all my trees and all this, these living things that I love. Your creations are going to come after them. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to see that pairing of the God of craftsmanship of, I, I don't want to say creation because that's, it has a different connotation here. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but creativity, maybe we could say he's the God of, of making things versus or with alongside the goddess of living things mm -hmm. and there's that tension that they both have between the two of them and we see this now uh, a lot where i i don't want to get too tangenty here but there's a lot of debate that goes on in our modern world about what price are we willing to pay for modernization uh, 20, we're just beginning in 2022. There's a report that just came out that 2021 was, had the hottest recorded temperatures worldwide. Right. And a lot of this is attributed to greenhouse gases, which basically is attributable to modernization. This, this, uh, drive that we as humans have to create, to build, to go further, to advance, you know, technology and all this stuff. Uh, but that's in tension with the living world. And how are we going to reconcile that? And so there, there are these interesting pairings. You could probably get something similar with Manwe and Varda. There's the passage where he can, when they're standing next to each other, 
he can see further than anyone else on earth Mm -hmm. and she can hear more than anyone else on earth um you know there are these interesting pairings and then there's the fact that not all of them are paired off and what is tolkien is he trying to say something here i I mean like i said he might not be Mm -hmm. this is a history he might have just said you know what no this is just kind of how it sprang forth in my head and i'm just going to put it down he might not have had some sort of grand design but it is still interesting to see that there are several of these 14 gods and goddesses that are paired off and then some that aren't and is is there something to be gleaned here that that companionship is desirable but not absolutely necessary for everyone to achieve their uh, purpose in you know in being right well, and, and a lot of uh in very in step a lot with a lot of mythology and things like that these relationships are used to explain natural phenomena you know, like uh, i don't remember who it is but there's someone who bothers ulmo uh, and it it causes the seas to be tumultuous and and difficult and things as like one that. of his lieutenants yeah yeah who does that where it's the relationships between the are, are things that we nowadays just go and say oh yeah that's that's caused by X, Y, and Z. You know, science has cleared out the, you know, there's no gods doing this. But in mythology, the, the beauty is you can attribute a lot of these things to interactions between gods. And to, so to know the relationships between these characters is a way to also look and say, this is why this happens. And it's, I, I like that side of, of a fantasy realm. Yeah. And there were a few questions uh, about how about whether this is uh internally within middle earth is this a history or is this a mythology you know is this literal or is it metaphorical and that's a question i think we're going to get to maybe as we go i i I don't know if i want to answer that now uh but that's as you're talking ryan that reminded me that's something that we should probably keep an eye on as we're thinking about this book um is whether it's literal or metaphorical, mm-hmm. even within the world itself. So, yeah. Uh, cool. What else you guys got? What do you want to talk about? Did, or did we cover what you wanted, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's, cool. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, what do you got for me? I mean, I'm mostly still wrapping my my mind around these tiers mm. and levels and how they relate. Because, like, you've got your gods and, like, explain to me the Valar. That's the gods, mm. right? Yes. The tier of gods so, we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, think of it as like four or five tiers right at the top we have iru he's the one iluvatar iluvatar yeah yeah ceo of middle earth what eo ceo 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 of the existence yeah the world because that's pretty sure tolkien's coffin just burst into flames (laughs) (laughs) that's the other thing that i was i was wrapping my head around is like there's the void which is like exists it's space outside of existence there's what Tolkien calls the world, capital W, which is basically the universe. And then there's actually Earth, which is Arda, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's like, it's the shrinking yeah. realm. But and, but there can be, for me, it was a little confusing at first and I had to look it up. But when he kept referring to the world, I'm thinking, oh, the world, like the Earth. But it, no, he means universe. the universe is right. the world. What is, remind me, Aya. <laughs> Ea is the, uh, it's the verb that he shouts, and it becomes another name for creation, for, well, the world, Ea for is, Ea is creation. The world, so what he's talking about, the world could also be Ea, is that accurate? Yes, yeah, okay. that's, that's fine. 
Uh, okay. I'm sure there's some subtle distinction that we could get into. But again, like I sure. said at the beginning, we're not making scholars out of anybody. This is sure. just let's just get through. So there's this. that. There's kind of the 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 tiers of the cosmos. Okay. First, so, so there's the void. There's the world or the universe, and then there's Arda, which is right Earth or Middle Earth or whatever. Right. Um. You're right. But let's get back to the order of beings. And then beings. Right. Yes. So we have Iru Iluvatar, the one. He's up top. Then we have the Valar. Mm-hmm. They're our our pantheon of gods with a lowercase g, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are the powers that be in Middle Earth that uh, drive its and These are the Manways and the Vardas mm-hmm. and the Melkors and the right. that. And then we have the the Maiar. Those are the the race of uh, their lesser versions of that. The demigods. The demigods. That's sort a great of. word for it. So uh, then we've got the demigods and that's so he mentions Balrogs. Mm-hmm. In the in Valaquenta, he mentions Sauron. Um, there are others who we'll come to find out. By the way, this is not. I, I'm I'm worried about spoil. I'm I'm worried about getting lit up over spoilers. But let's not just. It's not a thing. This is the Silmarillion. It's this is not a story that you're going to get spoiled. So I'm just going to tell you. There's a lot of other uh, Maiar throughout the mm-hmm. history of middle earth and so gandalf and sauron and th- that order of wizards they are maiar mm-hmm. um they're not men or elves they are maiar uh, there are others sprinkled in like mm-hmm. ose we mentioned ose who mm-hmm. uh, kind of rules over the shorelines of middle earth and uh, he's then... a servant of ulmo so ulmo is the god of the waters sure. but he has his lieutenant ose who so you've got the maiar the valar and then iluvatar mm-hmm. Basically, yep. and then be below or beneath the Maiar are the children of Iluvatar, which are men and elves. Correct. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yep. It's coming together. Yeah, yeah. You're getting. <laughs> yeah, and then you could you could go on down from there. You, sure. Uh, <laughs> the dwarves. dwarves are an interesting case. You know, where do we put them? It's tough to say. Um, and maybe maybe we can talk about that. And then you get to flora and fauna and and all that. Mary stuff. Maiar with the Horam. Lowercase n. What's that? They're the Maiar with the lowercase n. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So uh, yeah, is that uh... perfect? No, I think that that wraps my head around. That's what I was getting, sort of. But I wanted to make sure we had that mm-hmm. like clear hierarchy structure, and also for any listener that is also in my same boat who <laughs> kind of doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and and I'll also say that is the important thing to grasp mm-hmm. is that there are there's a hierarchy of powers in the world yeah or beings in the world what's not important is what i did on this read through where uh, <laughs> holding up my copy i actually charted out uh each of the valar and the the valier and the, each of the names that they all have which ones are connected you do not have to do this it is not important like there are some but it could be fun <laughs> There are some that kind of come into play a little bit, like Nienna comes into play a little, a little bit, but like Nessa and Vanna, um, you don't like Irmo, who's also known as Lorian. Like you, they don't really play much throughout the rest of the book. You don't need to know all these names. You know the major players. You know that there's somebody named Manwe, mm-hmm. and that he's kind of like God's lieutenant on Earth. Okay, mm-hmm. great, got it, done. Um, that's you don't need to know all of his different names you don't need to know each of the 14 in order to understand the rest of the story Perfect. but understanding the hierarchy i think is mm-hmm. is good i'd say maybe with the exception you should probably know melkor well, sure morgoth yeah i and, and there are some like manway like melkor like um 
uh, Varda who are who are mentioned so frequently throughout the story that that'll take care of itself. Yeah. Right. Like by the time you get to the end of Valaquenta, you've been exposed to these names, but you don't have to have them all memorized. Mm -hmm. the, the book will do the work for you as you go forward as far as bringing to the fore the ones that you need to know. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, cool. What else? Uh, any, anything else you guys want to bring up or should we? go to some uh, some Middle-earth trivia. Well, I know Kyle brought this up a little bit, and I know we talked about it the first time through, but I think it's worth revisiting and mentioning the, the beauty of utilizing music as the creative power. Mm -hmm. That mm. is unique, and it is something that uh, authors today are benefiting from that use, but uh, we, when it comes to creation stories, of the past, I don't know a ton of mythology. Uh, I'm not deeply versed in that or whatever. But in basic Judeo-Christian mythology, uh, music's not what you not what was used to make the world. Right. God kind of pulls the dust out and starts, you know, hammering this there and makes these things happen. And <laughs> wow, this, yeah. I'm just impressed with your theological it was actually language prowess. that was used. Yes, yeah. God would say things. <laughs> right. That language would would create things in like yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was spoken, but it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't musical, and it was specifically. And I know that there's different takes on this inside religious stuff. Not really looking to get into the religious side of the discussion here. Uh, Why not? But well, we could go on. But uh, the fact is that he was the conductor of the music, basically, and had the Valar each singing their piece and organizing that. And even when one went off when Melkor goes off and decides to beatbox in the middle of all this. <laughs> he makes the beat work and he says, it doesn't matter what you do, it is all part of my plan. Oh man. Which is Okay, a, now we're getting into two different things. We, we're, we've got the creation from music. Start with the music and then we and then, come back to the A to the Eru being like, no, it's this is all part of my plan. I'll make it work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle, thoughts? yeah, I, one of the things that stood out to me that I really liked is the idea that um, are we are we, so are we referring to this dude as e, I guess it's not just this Pick being one. as Eru or Iluvatar doesn't matter. Anyways, in fact, it, it, throughout the book, he'll often be referred to as Eru Iluvatar. Eru Iluvatar. Okay, so pick one That's doesn't matter. That hyphenated. We're in that generation. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Oh, sorry. Okay. That, no, there's just so there are some tangents I could go off on. Excellent about hyphenated. What names, I liked about but... the music idea um, <laughs> is that in this creation, as Iluvatar brings forth different beings or or existences, intelligences, if you will, one of the things that is stated as important is that they're allowed to to basically be be and play whatever instrument or sound or whoever they are. Right. And it doesn't matter. Like that was like the free will idea is there. Mm. So like create this, play your music. And then to Ryan's point, no matter what that music is, we'll weave it back into the overall orchestra. And that might mean that we spin this off into an, I think there's two or three times when Melkor is trying to like do something else and he spins it off into something else. And mm -hmm. to Ryan's point says, no matter what you do, anything that you create was first created by me essentially like so all of your creations are essentially my creations so you're not going to have your own creations in that way and that is milk that's what's driving Melkor right now right is yeah that yeah he wants to be 
the essentially the the be all end all creator of everything right. and have all the glory. Okay, so lots to dig into with this. You're and I welcome. Have, and I have <laughs> notes. I, I have notes that I, I took on both of those topics. So let's start with the music, the idea of music as creation. Um, like you said, Ryan, this is this is fresh. It's interesting. It's not something that you come across really except for here. I, I mean, somebody is welcome to email, email us uh, with corrections and all that. We'll talk about that in the next episode if there are corrections. That's great. But yeah, as far as I know, this is pretty original stuff. Um, but I, I, uh, aesthetically it's delightful and it doesn't have to have any more reason than that. I oftentimes, you know, beauty is its own purpose and reward in mm -hmm. Tolkien. And I think that's part of his uh, Catholic upbringing and we talk, can talk more about that. But one thing I did notice that was interesting, um, and I just, I realized that in a similar way that, um, that Christianity and its creation myth have had to reconcile with scientific advancements and understanding Darwinian evolution and, and all that stuff where it's like, oh gosh, okay, now we have these ideas. How do they reconcile? And, and that kind of, uh, it, it did happen over the years, over the decades that these things can be reconciled. People found a way. Uh, in a similar way, there's a line that I'd never noticed before that uh, Ulmo, the god of the waters, was most, this is quote, most deeply instructed by Iluvatar in music. So we've got Manwe who is closest to Iluvatar in thought um, and kind of understands his designs and all that stuff. But Ulmo is most, uh, in, is, yeah, the most instructed in music. And music, as we know now, is uh, Iru's way of creating. Mm -hmm. And now we've got a situation where it's like, where did all of life on the planet originate? Seas. Water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it came from the water. Isn't it? Oh, gosh. I just thought that was it kind of blew my mind when I saw that this mm -hmm. time where it's like this is a way for, uh, you know, in world for men and elves and whatnot to reconcile uh, biological and scientific understanding with their mythology. Uh, that that is that the music music is contained within water, um, whether it's the crashing of the waves on the sea or the falling of rain, or the cracking of ice, or whatever. There's uh, there's music in water, and there's creation in water. I thought that was pretty cool stuff. Uh, Ryan, you look pensive. I was just thinking also, uh, recollecting the number of times that there is stated something about hearing the voice of Ulmo, uh, that some people would hear it and never, uh, they could never unhear it type thing, or they would never want to leave the seas yeah. because of this. and being that he would be the god most uh, connected to the power of creation music, people have hearing that call. I know the easy, the easy, short, low-hanging fruit uh, is that it's the you know the call of the sea, and when you hear it, you'll you become the sailor, and you're going to go. You're, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I'm bringing really the deep stuff here. Yeah, there's a do. line where the sky meets the sea, Funny. and it calls, it calls me. me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Craig is so just he's, so, he's I actually I, if there's one Disney movie that I'm happy for you guys to make references to it's Moana okay. it, that's it's majestic perfect uh, okay go Moan way <laughs> it's what I'm here for okay that's that's true that is that is literally true uh, sorry go on Ryan no that 
that, that thought of hit its end and I'm not taking it any further. We're good. <laughs> uh, should we should we move on to another one? Yeah. Yes. Let's, okay. Unless you want to go into the topic no, of free will. I do. I, that's actually the yeah. next thing mm-hmm. I want to talk about. Um, because that was the other thing you guys mentioned. Yeah. Man, or not Manway. <laughs> Eru says you'll, no matter what you do, everything you do, every uh, piece of discord that you sow, everything has its uttermost source in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't, <laughs> you can't effectively rebel so stop it and of course he doesn't stop it right um but it, first of all this is it's kind of interesting in uh in something that we can recognize in our own lives um it, whether it's our own lives or the lives around us where <clears throat> you have somebody who um well no let, let me just put it this way there are those who uh try their absolute best to um live their lives or or write their academic papers or uh, create this or that thing with the intention of like overthrowing western culture or you know this or that uh, civilizational christianity this and that um you, establishment but yeah there you go but the thing is it's so pervasive and our society our culture our lives our personalities everything it's so shot through with thousands of years of uh of what we we're built upon that you can't effectively rebel against it or you can but it's like gosh i'm not i'm not doing this justice um you can't ever write a fantasy book <laughs> these days that isn't in some way referential to tolkien mm-hmm. in it, it, <laughs> because it's so foundational that even if you do something that's like the anti-Tolkien, it's still in reference to Tolkien. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, so, and, me... and so, so Melkor is trying his best to be the uh, Antichrist, we could call him, right? But it's still in reference to what Eru is trying to do. It's still using the tools that Eru gave him. It's still uh, built upon that base. You can't effectively rebel against something that is so foundational to you. Does that make mm-hmm. any sense? Yeah. No, it makes, I think it makes perfect sense i think it's almost like the idea of the free will has been given to the valar am i am i yeah that's right free will has been given to or valar. has it oh yeah or okay, has we're it. gonna get there. because yeah. within the but within the box of eru mm-hmm. and so is that actually free will right is that the that's kind of what you're getting at right uh yeah kind of yeah so um so we have this concept. Are the Valar able to effectively rebel? Uh, in a way, no. Um, so we have this idea of fate. And we get into this with the music of the Einar itself, where uh, we have the three themes in the music of the Einar. And then we're told that uh, that carries us, as far as the history of Middle-earth goes, the history of Arda, I suppose we should say, um, as far as that goes, it takes us through essentially the end of the Third Age and the Dominion of the Elves. So the end of the Third Age is the end of uh, the Return of the King. So if you've read or watched The Lord of the Rings, you've seen the end of the Third Age. And that's as far as the music of the Einar takes us. And then after that, once we get into the Fourth Age, that's when we have the Dominion of Men um, instead of Elves. Um, up to this point, up to the end of the Third Age, fate is a thing because everything was sung about now that doesn't mean every uh, all the Valar knew what they were. There are still things for them to understand from the themes that they were singing, 
Uh, so it's not like they know everything, but everything was laid out. Uh, but then they got done with the end of the third theme and that, but history continues into the fourth age, right? Um, so I've got a passage to read for you guys. This is from the first chapter of Quintus Silmarillion of the beginning of days. Um, there's a passage here <laughs> where we're talking about uh, the creation of elves and the creation of men. And that's this is still to come later on in the story. And um, Eru is talking to the Valar and he says, uh, uh, oh, I got to get the right quote. The Quendi, the elves, shall have the greater, let's see, shall be the fairest of all earthly creatures. They shall have and conceive and bring forth more beauty than all of my children. And they shall have the greater bliss in this world. But to the Atani, to men, I will give a new gift. And I always thought that was death. And that is part of it. But he goes on. He says, therefore, he wills that the hearts, he willed that the hearts of men should seek beyond the world and should find no rest therein. But they should have a virtue to shape their life amid the powers and chances of the world, beyond the music of the Ainur, which is as fate to all things else. To everything else, all the elves, the Maiar, the Valar, every, flora, fauna, all that stuff, everything is confined to the music of the Ainur. That is fate to them. So then we get into some tricky questions about are they actually making choices or are they just acting out a play that was already put? And I, I don't know the answers to that. But for human beings, we have a pretty clear answer there. Um, that they are outside of fate. Um, and, uh, and it goes on, the quote goes on, and of their operation, everything should be in form and deed completed and the world fulfilled unto the last and smallest. So basically the creation, the history of the world, it, you sung a lot of it, but it won't be complete until free human beings have had their say. So he's giving to mankind what Melkor ultimately wanted. Right. Yeah. Ryan, you look pensive. Yeah. Again. Stop doing this to me. No. <laughs> Stop thinking. Okay, um, do me a favor. No, but that makes sense when you talk about how the fourth age, become, it's the age of men because everything else, everything else has finished its song and the only thing that could possibly move past that is the one thing that has been given the gift of being able to go beyond that. And so it has to be the age of men going forward why the elves ha that would make it also explains to me why the elves would have to leave and things like that because that's what it says that's what fate says has to happen but only men can go forward beyond that point it's just i it's a little piece that makes the ending of lord of the rings make more sense to me right like mm -hmm. why do you need to sail off into the west do you like your house here you like these people why are you leaving you have to you are you are tied to the fate of the song that was written but mankind is not and their drive and their their purpose everything is what's going to allow them to exist beyond the end of the song there like you go mm -hmm. yeah uh so we've been going for a while now oh sorry yeah, uh, I, I, looks I like you have one more thought. i had one more thought the the whole concept of music as creation and this you know the song and the orchestra you know whatever we're talking about music it we talked about when we read Lord of the Rings how a lot of people hate the songs. They skip the songs. They don't want to do that. <laughs> right. But it gives you a, a new appreciation of the songs in in like maybe I can't think of one specifically, but just 
the presence of music and song within those stories because it's this deep seated creative force within the world that they live that music is part of it. And so of course, culturally music is going to be a huge part. So you think throughout Lord of the Rings that the elves singing and as you know, when they're singing their lament of Gandalf and things like this, like these exist even in today's world, like music is a huge thing, but in this universe, music is literally the foundation of all things. And so maybe those songs are worth not skipping. Which is so interesting to me because as far as I know, Tolkien wasn't a musician. I, I'm open to correction on that, but I, I don't remember ever reading anything where he was a, a vocalist or a, an <laughs> instrumentalist of any kind. So I think he played electric guitar. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> um, the professor oh. is sitting out back there with some bagpipes. No one likes this music, but I'm going to write about it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting that he that he chose music. But I and I know I've related this story before, um, but and I should also preface this by saying uh, je suis not Catholic. I am not a Catholic person. And so I, I, I come at this comment with limited understanding, but some understanding because, um, he was very Catholic. And so he would have spent his life around some really gorgeous music. Um, and I say this because of an experience I, I've had a few experiences like this, but one of them jumps out in particular when, uh, my wife and I were visiting Secrecur in Paris. Um, we, we went into this basilica and, uh, we were walking through, we decided to take a break. We sat down on the pews and, uh, the choir comes in and starts singing. Apparently, you know, they do this every hour or two. They just come in and start singing a few hymns. It was the most gorgeous thing. I, one of the most gorgeous things I've ever experienced in my entire life, sitting in this amazing building with the gorgeous stained glass and the decorations and all this stuff. Uh, that that I wasn't, I I hadn't been steeped in this as a kid because I wasn't Catholic, um, and it was overwhelmingly beautiful. This amazing song that was going on in this amazing setting, um, and I can only imagine what it would be like to grow up around that uh, constantly, day in and day out, um, as uh, an extremely observant Catholic like he was. I wonder if that played into it, where he just he heard gorgeous music all the time. Uh, that had to have had a deep effect on him, even if he wasn't a musician and possibly goes into something else. I I don't know where else music uh, played a role in his life, but that's the closest connection I could come to. Yeah. I like that. And I, it, it reminds me of how we've, we've talked previously about the concept of the wind and we talked this in our wheel of time episodes, but that it's not something tangible, but it's something that you can feel and that, you know, uh, and I think music is very similar and I think it, it very, uh adeptly describes the way like when when he's talking about the creation and and the feelings and that there weren't actual tangible beings that they weren't formed into things but that's very clearly there there's emotion there's beauty there's discord there's harmony there's you know mm-hmm. uh, like the concept of it i think really well aligns with the idea of creation because you can feel and hear and sense all of these things, even if it's not a tangible thing yeah. yet. So, cool. well, should we uh, get some discord comments yes. in here? Speaking uh, of discord. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's, let's do some discord comments. 
and we'll uh, not be able to get to all of these. We've been going for nearly an hour already, um, but we'll do a few of these. And then anything we don't get to, we're going to uh, try to answer. We'll do a lightning round after this episode, and we'll put that on Patreon. So uh, for those not familiar, go to thelegendarium. or patreon.com slash the legend no you can go to legendarium.com there's a patreon link there <laughs> there you go ryan's saving me go to the legendarium.com and click on patreon i i remembered it's patreon.com slash legendary not not the anyway uh we we haven't done a lot of patreon exclusive stuff but i think uh, there's going to be a ton of silmarillion material and and that'll be a good place to put it so you can join there for a buck an episode it's really not uh, we, we we don't ask for much it's a tip jar kind of situation it's uh, but anyway, so let's get to a few of these um, comments. Let's see. We talked about Lady Sweden's. Okay. Oh, gosh. So much for lightning round. The first one I saw was from Hurin Fan. Clearly, this is... Well, you guys don't know yet. Ryan does. This is somebody who has definitely read The Silmarillion, if your name is Hurin Fan. Uh, if the dwarves are created by Aule, are they inherently lesser? Okay. Racism in Middle-earth. Go. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Uh, Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Yeah. Is it? They were made by a lesser god uh, who does not have the full powers of creation. They would be lesser in creation. But But I would not. But but you don't treat them that way. (laughs) (laughs) Hurin fan. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Backpedal. Backpedal, Ryan. Um, But they are. They're literally he, shorter than men, so lesser. Yes. There you go. There you go. I, let's not even get into hobbits. Um, <laughs> the 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 question though is, although Aule shaped them, and it says in the text that he had an imperfect understanding of uh, what the children of Iluvatar would look like, uh, so that's why the the dwarves look different than um, elves and men do. Um, so he shaped them, but Iluvatar gave them life. It was, I rescind my answer and say that they are fully as good because it is a Luvatar who gave them life. Ass covered. Yes. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Please send your angry emails to Craig at the legendariumpodcast.com. There you go. Oh, boy. You know, Ryan does have an email address, and that is Ryan. Craig at the legendariumpodcast.com. <laughs> Ryan's email just forwards to Actually, Craig's no. inbox. <laughs> Feel free to send them to Ken at the legendariumpodcast.com. There you go. <laughs> Uh, should we tell them it's with two ends or should they just send it into the void uh, okay so <laughs> the, I don't know if I want to wade any further into that one uh, or even if we can it's I'm not sure that's an answerable yeah. question are they lesser <sighs> I I don't know I don't know how to answer that The there's not even a consensus on what happens to dwarves after they die um elves go to the halls of mandos and we'll learn more about that uh, as we go but it's kind of been mentioned in this section that elves go back to the halls of mandos uh when men die who knows but the assumption is that they go to the realm of iru but you know but they don't know the elves don't know so the silmarillion doesn't know so anyway uh should we leave that one behind Deepholt asks this question uh let's see oh we we got over uh or we went over why do you think music specifically is so important to tolkien's creation myth um okay are there hints i I think this is this is a bit of a leading question so thank you deep i love leading questions that i can answer 
Are there hints in Ainulindale and Valaquenta as to the ultimate origin of the more mysterious figures of the Legendarium, like Ungoliant, the Watcher in the Waters, or Ken Johnson? Uh, just kidding. Uh, Tom Bombadil, uh, what they said. Um, are there are there hints? Yes. So as we kind of read in the text, yes, this is where Balrogs come from. This is where wizards come from. Presumably the Watcher in the Water is one of these beasts. Um, Maiar, uh, is that what we're, the level we're at? Yeah, yeah, okay. as, as a Maiar. Uh, Shelob is the offspring of a Maiar. So... The half blood, my I, I don't know quite how that would let's, go. Let's not let's not merge the Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings fandoms on this one. <laughs> that's, that's we don't want both of them coming after us. That's a yeah. Well, I, no press is bad press, Ryan. Let's. Uh, I've learned that to not be the case <laughs> <laughs> as a former press secretary. Yeah. Uh, okay, so that's that's good. I do want to get to Cody question mark Cody Cody. Cody is he sure? on Discord because uh, there's the thing is there's Cody Lloyd there's Cody with an E C-O-D-E-Y and now there's Cody Cody so there yeah a lot, a lot of Cody's around our Discord um, anyway Cody's uh, reading the legendary with or reading the Silmarillion better word for it uh, with his 10 year old uh, who asks let's see question from a 10 year old from the first night of reading the Silmarillion first of all uh, shout out I don't know your name uh, offspring of Cody, but the, this this is brave. I ten years old reading the Silmarillion. If you make it through it, like for real applause, that's fantastic. Uh, but this ten year old asks: In the first story, why did the story say something about Iluvatar guarding fire? If it is just fire, not like Ainur were born from the fire, and is there life source, or is it? Okay, tell me about the secret fire. Um, this is something that is mentioned in Ainulindale. The secret is so. Is the secret fire different from the impen, impen, uh, imperishable flame? Imperishable flame. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. Okay. So, uh, just for fun, you ever uh, you ever watch the Lord of the Rings? A time when or Gan two. Doesn't Gandalf yell about the servant of the I'm a servant fire. of the secret, secret fire. fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's what he's talking about. Flame of Uldun is what he calls him, right? The flame of Uldun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um anyway, when Gandalf says he's a servant of the secret fire, this is what he's talking about. The imper the imperishable flame. Am I getting that right? Somebody'll email me if I'm not. Um but anyway, yes. So, it, I don't know quite how to uh, how to explain this. But I'll try. The imperishable flame is the source of creation within Iluvatar. So he talks about it and Melkor understands it like it's uh, what Ryan is Sorry. thinking about like the taint. No. God passing gas, maybe. No, or... I was saying so it's God's pilot light. Is that what we're going for? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yes. You're the one who cut to me. I I covered my mouth. I tried not to draw it. You're the one who cut to me. It's because when I, I, I know when you make that face, something good is happening behind those eyes. Uh, uh, something is happening. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, Melkor understands it as a physical flame. And he can go and capture it. And now, haha! now I have the power of creation. But Iluvatar rebukes him and says, you're an idiot. It's in me. I, I, I am the yeah, imperishable flame. I, am it. Yeah. I, I have it. I am it. Whatever. Um, and so is it an actual, like, Moses' burning bush or something? Is this, uh, like, an actual flame somewhere? No, it's not. 
um it's it's the power of creation within iluvatar so interesting that it's a flame uh and then the power of creation is also in water as we have noted previously so water fire creation it's all the same what a, it's all a mess it's all a mess so okay hopefully that uh answers that question so thank you cody's son daughter i actually don't know uh but i hope you enjoy reading along and i hope we get more questions from you um all right um <laughs> oh kiptan our old buddy oh. kiptan asks something that i'm gonna throw toward kyle as somebody who uh, has written is writing books uh kiptan asks do you think a creation story or at least <laughs> or at least unpublished notes on one is a requirement for excellent fantasy world building Ooh, that is a great question kiptan um I believe that it, you, it was okay. It, it, well, was, it was an okay question. It, yeah, it's, it's okay. I refuse to give him too much like credit. 6.5. No, I don't know. <laughs> I think that you, as a creator, need to know the backstory of where your characters or worlds like come from. So, yes and no. I don't think you have to have fully published notes or, or an entire thought out world a la the Silmarillion or things on the scale of, you know, what Sanderson does. But I do think that you need to have thought about foundationally, where does your world and your characters, where do they come from? What are their motivations? What is the environment in which they live? So I think, yes, I think you should have an understanding of backstory for sure. Right. Yeah. It's it kind of, um, similar to the the very very fumbling unfortunate thought that i was trying to share earlier about uh how foundational say christianity is to uh or i should say judeo-christianity to western culture you can't if you're writing a biography on any given figure in like our cultural history you're not going to be able to do that effectively if you don't understand mm -hmm. their uh, their upbringing with uh, regards to religion, mm -hmm. what the culture they grew up in was steeped in religiously mm -hmm. or, you know, yeah. or mythologically. Uh, you, you can't effectively understand an individual without understanding the mythology. And I think the same would mm -hmm. probably be true, I think, of any character you're trying to write in mm -hmm. a book or the world you're trying to build. And you I have think to it, know what it's built on. Yeah. And I think it's perfectly OK to borrow that. I think there are, there are probably millions of published works out there that are just within our established world you know if you're if you're mm -hmm. building a or like you're you can build upon something that's already known so harry potter comes to mind where it's within our world but there's also a wizarding world within that world so there's there's already a, a solid foundation of, of many things that you can just kind of put your your background and backstory onto but yes i think you ha absolutely have to have that understanding yeah. of where where people and characters and cultures come from yeah Ryan, I would say, well, I would say it depends on the scale and scope of the story you want to tell. It will always be a benefit. It is a best practice. Uh, if you plan on writing anything of a large enough scale, you definitely need to have that on there. If you're going to write a one-off novel about a single event happening, you may not need quite the same level of note-taking. Yeah, I like, think that's fair. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. fair. Um, cool. Well, you guys, we've been going for a little over an hour. 
Um, we covered a few of these Discord comments. We'll uh, cover a few more in just a moment. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff even from the text that we didn't quite get to. Um, rapid fire, I'll say, if you are reading these sections, pay, it, pay close attention to the idea of unity. Um, and what does unity mean in Tolkien? Um, because it's, I think it's really important. Like you watch or you read the Lord of the Rings and you get this sense of, um, you know, Tolkien, Tolkien didn't value unity because when you look at the bad guys, it's like Sauron, that's it. I I am it. I have one ring. I'm one guy. You all answer to me uh, and everybody will work toward my goals or whatever and then you look at the fellowship and you're like oh you have this diverse group of various races and they uh, and they they eventually break off and it's it's a, a messy coalition of all these different things uh, different peoples um and so it's it's kind of tempting to be like well Tolkien didn't value unity he he valued diversity of uh, whatever but uh as we read through uh especially uh, Harmony, I think, is the key word uh, mm-hmm. in understanding what Tolkien valued uh, vis-a-vis unity. Um, harmony. So you can be different. You don't all have to think the same way. You don't all have to live the same way. You don't all have to have the same goals and objectives and wants and desires um, if you are in harmony. And, and that then you get into the question of, okay, but harmony implies that you're all working towards some common objective and what is that and it, it gets tricky i'm not saying it's not tricky but uh yeah you pay attention to the concept of of harmony the other thing i'll note is that if you want to know how tolkien felt about his own creation uh his sub-creation i.e the silmarillion that we're reading through right now if you want to know how he felt about it reread the chapter of aule and yavana um and that I think gives us a really good insight into how Tolkien thought about his subcreation. Um, so you can uh, allegorically, sorry, Tolkien, you can, can liken it to uh, like his creation of Middle Earth to the dwarves and Aule overstepping his bounds uh, with no ill intent, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So with that, uh, I will say there is another episode that we did where I think we got into some of those concepts a little more. Uh, Ryan, you and I talked with Kip Rasmussen like five years ago or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, we do have another episode on Ainu Lindale, so you can go check that out. If you just search through our archives, you'll find that. Um, I actually really like that episode, uh, but I did not go back and listen to it because I didn't want to reference it at all. So if there's repeats and retreads, sorry about that. But uh, anyway... Uh, we good on this this episode for now? Yeah. Okay. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, and we're, we've got 10 more of these scheduled about every two weeks. I'm sure there will be some exceptions. Uh, but if you go to our Discord server, uh, where you can find a link at thelegendarium.com, go to our Discord server, and there is uh, the schedule pinned um, in the Tolkien channel. And if I ever have to update that uh, schedule, I'll update it there in that document. Uh, but that's there. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium if you enjoy what we do and you want to support the show. That would be greatly appreciated. Plus, you can hear us uh, go on for another, I don't know, 15 to 30 minutes, whatever we have the stomach for <laughs> right now, answering a few more of these uh, uh, Discord questions. So with that, guys, any parting thoughts? Are we good? Call it? Call it. Call, Call it. it. Okay, thanks, everybody. We will see you next time.